0: Columnist, uh, anti-racism activist, proud feminist, uh, Robin Potier, uh, who says white South Africans need to start getting involved in conversations around race and how white privilege affects Black South Africa. She joins us on the line now. Uh, happy Monday morning to you, Robin. Happy mid-month, uh, and uh, thank you for waking up so early. <laughs> it's a
1: good thing that I don't sleep much; otherwise, this wouldn't be so um, so good morning. But good morning to you, and happy Mandela Month to you as well.
0: Gee, you don't sleep much. What do you get to do?
1: (laughs) I read a lot.
0: (laughs) So, uh, would I be okay to say that uh, you haven't slept much uh, since Sunday?
1: Yes, that would be very accurate. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) If I may ask, what are you reading?
1: I'm currently reading a book called, well, I'm rereading, called Me and White Supremacy by Leila Sykes
0: yeah sure. that sounds heavy,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah that's actually probably the point as well. It doesn't make for light people um the kind of reading that would make you want to go to sleep afterwards,
0: yeah, you gotta take it all in. <laughs> how, how, how nice to have you. How did you um observe Mandela Day on Saturday?
1: It was an incredibly different Mandela day to all of the ones that I've experienced before. Obviously, previously, you could go out and you could actually spend time doing things for communities but because of the pandemic all my donations were sort of online and monetary um and then the donation of blood which i suppose one should try to do more regularly not just once a year on mandela day
0: wow that's an interesting one donation of blood many of us haven't really thought about that (laughs) now activists race activists writer feminist uh, strong opinions you carry uh, how do we describe you
1: um, well I suppose like most people I do sit at a number of different intersections of identities and experiences um, and those you know those experiences and identities do help to inform both what I believe but also what I've had to try to unlearn um, by no means am I at the end of the journey? By no means am I an expert in anything. Um, I do work in digital marketing, but my passion does lie in writing and in trying to put my privilege as a white person to use in some way in trying to address the racial inequality of South Africa and the world at large. Um, By no means is anything that I write, or by no means should it be the last thing that anyone reads or takes into account, as they're trying to learn more about these things. But I would like to hope that rather than sitting and doing nothing in some small, minuscule way, both through writing my own things and through amplifying the people that I read and the people that I learn from, um, you know, we can begin to turn the tide on what has arguably been a, a complex system that ex- has existed for several hundred years.
0: See, I mean... Acknowledging white privilege in this country is very taboo. (laughs) How did you get it right? And what's the reaction to you by your your fellow, you know, brothers and sisters?
1: Um, So I'm not sure that I get it right 100% of the time because I still enjoy the privileges of being a white person. And I am the product of those privileges in terms of socioeconomic educational privilege. Um, Obviously, it can make rise with friends and family a little uh, tricky. (laughs) You know, I didn't grow up in a context where the people around me were overtly racist. Um, And I don't actually, you know, I haven't ever really heard anyone use a racial slur in person, but, you know, there are so many subtle ways that racism makes itself known and makes itself still a very powerful force in in the society that we live in. And, I mean, as is to be expected, particularly because white supremacy is an ideology, it kind of banks on this idea of white solidarity, where every member who's involved will protect our privileges and, and not call to account anyone who is enacting something that is negative. So there's definitely been incidences where I've received a lot of um, pushback. I mean, just last night... Someone called me a fake rape victim. And I'm very vocal about the fact that when I was 18, I was raped. And, you know, someone took into exception the account that I was criticizing people who had an issue with the cricket players who were supporting Black Lives Matter. And so what I find is that people will refuse to engage with what I'm talking about and refuse to engage with the ideas and try to attack me personally. But by no means is it even close to what half of, or all of the black people in South Africa and the world at large have had to experience so I suppose you've got to kind of develop a thick skin and try to keep on fighting the good fight
0: Sure Um, because some people might just uh, you know push back as you you were saying and say how do you define whiteness how do you define white privilege
1: So whiteness it's quite an insidious concept I think it's it's got very different ways of, of of existing. I think it exists in the fact that the culture that we grew up in. I mean, I was born at the end of apartheid, so my experience of growing up in that culture wasn't huge. But you know, a change in legislation didn't necessarily unravel all of the white supremacist ideologies and and rules. It just made them less averse. But it's it's fact that you know, I can turn on the television and at any moment the people who are on the TV and the media I'm consuming will look like me. So there's a sense of belonging. And in every situation that I'm in, as a white person, I belong. And there's also, you know, there's freedom from the burden of race because I don't have to carry around the weight of race. I I grew up in a context, in an ideology where I can cast myself as innocent of race. And, you know, none of the media we consume None of the the lessons we learn in school ever cause us to look at ourselves as white people. So we can kind of look at other people as being different to what we are without having to name what we are. Um, I'm also in spaces that are kind of viewed as valuable or normal. I've got a freedom of movement that a black person or person of color may not enjoy. Um, So it's kind of a comfort and a racial comfort, a centrality, a superiority and a degree of entitlement, as well as the fact that there's this obliviousness and this apathy that is rooted in the idea that if I'm white and I'm not overtly racist, I'm a good person and there's nothing more that I need to do. But white privilege is kind of, it's the fact that even as a white person I may have had to struggle and face certain barriers, but my being white hasn't been one of them. So there's this um, writer in America, David Wellman, he says that racism is a system of, of advantage based on race. So those advantages are what we refer to when we talk about white privilege. So it's the concept that those advantages that get taken for granted by white people, that we may not necessarily be cognizant of, but that we feel entitled to, they can't be enjoyed by, similarly or in the same way by people of color.
0: I suppose then uh, the inability or the refusal to share the comforts you spoke about would lend itself to racism by your definition?
1: Certainly. I mean, so if we can define that privilege as a legitimization of one's entitlement to resources, then it can also be defined as the permission to escape or avoid challenges to that entitlement. I mean, we see our own political leaders, some of them saying that white privilege doesn't exist, or turning around and saying there's such a thing as black privilege, which there isn't. So it's not difficult to imagine that, you know, our, subs- our subscription to this idea that the privileges we enjoy we're entitled to means that anyone who tries to call us to account or draw attention to it, you know, we perceive them as attacking us individually as good people as opposed to making a comment upon a larger ideological system.
0: The white community, if I may put it that way, do, do, do you think a large majority understands this and acknowledge the
1: effects uh, this has on the black community? So I don't think they do. Um, I think that because we consider all talk about race as a challenge to our identities and good and mor- as, as good and moral people, we kind of refuse to acknowledge that it's a broader more complex and interconnected institutionalized system and because we refuse to acknowledge that we, we we lose the ability to understand that it needs to be addressed and it needs to be spoken about and we perceive any attempt to connect us to the system as racism as an an as attack on our person um, the trouble is is that if you're a white because you grow up in a context that doesn't call into account your whiteness, that doesn't call upon you to interrogate what you believe, unless you've de- devoted intentional and ongoing study to racism and white supremacy, your opinion on it is informed by your lived experience, which you know, could be uninformed or is likely to be uninformed. But I can say that because there's nothing in our mainstream culture, both internationally and locally, that gives us the information we need to have the nuanced understanding of racism and white supremacy, which is arguably the most complex and enduring social dynamic of the last several hundred years.
0: Do you think there's a refusal to understand racism or there is a battle uh, by some sections within the white community to understand this and be able to start dealing with it effectively and engaging on it?
1: I do. I, I think, you know, if you look around, we've never been more connected as a society. And all of the resources that I've drawn upon and my own journey that I continue to draw upon, by no means have I touched into every single resource that is available. By no means is my learning complete. But there are more resources, I would say, and and both printed in terms of books or online or video, and there's more, abil- there's more connectedness in terms of people being able to express their stories and tell you what it is they're living through. And, you know... So we've all got these assets available to us. We've all got these resources. We've all got the ability to listen and to learn and to look at that and to sort of actively choose not to engage with it, to actively choose to say it's a lie, to actively choose to say that race has no reckoning of people's lives when it does. That is the choice people are making. And I think part of that choice is fueled by fear. You know, there's that concept that if you admit to the white privilege, then And if you start to fight for equality and equity, then that means losing something. And it might do, but it doesn't mean losing something that you're entitled to have and retain by virtue of being white. So I think the fear as well as there does appear to be, at least in my experience online, there does appear to be a sort of subsect of society of people who want to sow racial dissension and who want to paint whites as victims and there's that white genocide myth even that goes around saying that white people are being systematically murdered um and i think it's incredibly problematic
0: yeah there is that narrative by sections of our society who talk like that yeah um black lives matter the cricket issue in the country the passing of Zinzi Manela has kind of divided us here in the country as well. What's your take Mm. on that?
1: So, I mean, what's interesting to me is I was trying to think over the weekend about why are these conversations almost happening more rapidly. It's not to suggest that this is the first surge of activism that we're seeing, and it probably won't be the last. But I do believe that living in the context of a pandemic – has sort of forced us to reach this exasperation point. Um, So the realities of illness, unemployment, pollution, unequal access to services, service delivery, all of these things compounded with the fear of the fact that there's this pandemic and this virus that is killing people and spreading like wildfire. It's kind of forced us to reevaluate and acknowledge that life is fragile and acknowledge that the world as it is is not serving the people who live in it. At least in South Africa, it's not serving the majority of the people who live in it. So you know, society changes incrementally. The fees must fall, students, on our young adults. And there's this constant, and you know, there's more and more children being grown, being born into a post-apartheid context. And so I suppose it's just what we're seeing are these slow incremental changes. But you know, one could hope that the new sense of responsibility that seems to have risen to the surface starts to actually result in change. Um, I also do a lot of activism around gender-based violence. And I can tell you now that almost every year since I was at university, I've attended a protest. But you don't necessarily get the sense that things are improving. You don't get the sense that things are changing. And that is terrifying. But I think it's important to keep going and to find other ways irrespective of protest action, find other ways, and I think education and awareness is key, to try to drive the message so that we can begin to see change.
0: Uh, Somebody might ask, have you experienced racism, Robbie?
1: So, I myself, no. As a person, no. I would like to answer you that I myself have never been racist. Um, I don't think white people can say that. I have never been overtly racist, as in I've never used a racial slur.
0: No but answers. People might say you might not have said it. You might have acted in a racist way. You might have subtly displayed racism, all those, those terms.
1: Incre- for sure. So there are, there are millions of microaggressions. And I also know for a fact that, you know, I've been reading about race and race relations and white supremacy for years. But I've also been enjoying the privilege of being a white person for years. And it took me longer than than it should have to write a piece like the one that I wrote for News24. So, you know, all of us, unless we're actively trying to unlearn, unless we're actively trying to draw attention, unless we're actively taking steps to do what needs to be done to address the system, we are complicit. And we're socialized into it as well. You know, it's not an attack on me as a person necessarily. Unless, you know, I'm going around and literally killing black people. I can be a good person and still be complicit in racism. The two are not mutually exclusive. So it needs to be seen that you can acknowledge and go, all right, I feel like I'm a good person. I feel like the things I do add value. But unless I'm doing what needs to be done to dismantle the system, then I'm complicit. And as long as I'm complicit, I'm not free of racism. And to be fair, I'm not sure that in my lifetime I ever will be.
0: Sure. Because uh, that uh, comes across as very difficult for a lot of people to acknowledge the complicity uh, in this matter.
1: Mm. I think so. The racial status quo is comfortable for white people. That's the truth of it. And Discussing race is not comfortable for white people. Looking at yourself and looking at what you've been socialized into, looking at what you've learned and how it manifests in your day-to-day interactions, it's not pleasant. It's not easy. And there's no one waiting for you at the end of the day to give you a high five and say, good job. But that's not why you do it. The thing is, is that we will not move forward in race relations. We will not move forward in addressing racial inequality if we remain comfortable, We've got to look at racism as a structure and not an event. So it's not just those individual interactions between you and me. It's a bigger structure that influences those individual actions. So if you're white, unless you have unless you're able to grasp the concept that it's not just about what you do and that even though you're against racism, it's not actually going to be helpful unless there is further action taken, unless there is a broader understanding.
0: Many times when uh, some of us say but this is not fair, uh, we get told live, don't play the racial cards, you yeah. know, th- th- those type of things, as yeah. opposed to say, why do you say that? Let's engage, you Yeah, know, um, you get dismissed to say, ah, you're being overly sensitive, or either you know, you're cheeky, or, yeah. you know, let's move forward, we have move forward.
1: Have we really moved forward? So there's been degrees of incremental change um, as with the abolishment of apartheid, there were overt acts of racism that were made illegal so obviously discrimination based on race, theoretically was made illegal, apartheid the carrying of passbooks, these things were made illegal but it didn't actually get rid of the white supremacist ideology and so that's part of the problem is that it almost, you know, racism in order to survive, white, white supremacy in order to survive over the decades has been able to adapt and change. That's how it survives. And it means that irrespective of the intentions of the people within that society, it will persist unless it is actively and intentionally dismantled. So I would love to say that things have changed in a meaningful way, but I think there are still many, many ways that they haven't. We've got a massive number of people who still live spatially, economically, in the same kind of context that they were living in during apartheid. But you get a lot of white people who will say, oh, but here is one black person who was very well educated and who has got the same job as I've got. So they are an example. Things have changed. They are the exception. They are not the rule.
0: But some in, in, in that context, they might as well say, "It's been 26 years into democracy. What has the government done?" What would you say?
1: Well, I think the, you know the government is a tricky one. <laughs> Again, you get white people who go, "But there are black people in power. How can the ideology that drives our society be white supremacist?" But it can. A change in legislation in terms of making the rules of apartheid illegal doesn't undo. That ideology, I think what's most obsessing is that the corruption that seems to have permeated every facet of our society, you know, that has cost people's lives. And again, because of white supremacy or as a result of it, the people who have suffered most are the people who are disenfranchised, who in South Africa are more often than not black people we can't look at these things and we can't look at them and say, oh, but we're all victims because we're not. It's the same with the pandemic. Disproportionately, the people who are going to suffer worse are the people who are already disenfranchised, the people who are already struggling to make ends meet. There was that article published about how women, lower income women, are a huge portion of the people who've lost their jobs over the last three months. Mm -hmm. And that's only going to continue. So even in the way we experience the negative impact of corruption and the negative impact of a pandemic, white people are still privileged. And that's not to suggest there aren't people who are white who have been retrenched, who are going through difficult times. But disproportionately, it will be black people and people of color who suffer.
0: Robin, the piece is on News 24. Yes. And how do people follow you?
1: So I am incredibly loud and obnoxious on Twitter. (laughs) Um, So it's just my, I didn't actually think that if one was going to be engaging in topics that upset people, you should probably have a pseudonym. So it's my real name on all my social media accounts. Um, Yeah, so I'm always there and I'm always online.
0: Well, Robin, you've started something. Let's hope people will take it uh, with the good intentions that you have to have a meaningful discussion and dialogue and, uh, you know, take the country forward. Thank you for being so brave and, uh, yeah, for sharing your thoughts. Much appreciated indeed. Thank you very much. I hope you have a good rest of your Monday. Have a great day and please do get some sleep. I'll try my best, but no promises. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robin. Take it, That's Bye. That's uh, anti-racism activist, writer, feminist, uh, Robin Patias. Uh, Check her column. Okay. Uh, anti, um, white South Africans need to start getting involved in conversations around race and how white privilege affects the black South Africans. So.